Well, good morning. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Skeet introduced me earlier. I'll introduce myself again for those of you who came in a few minutes late. Skeet will have a chat with you later about that. Anyway, I'm John Hattenberg, one of the elders here. About two-thirds of the time, you'll see our senior pastor up here preaching, delivering the message, and about a third of the time, you'll see some guys like myself, some of the other elders and other staff. So it's my pleasure to be here this morning and deliver you the word. We're continuing in our study of John chapter 15, which we've entitled Abide. Uh, It's mostly mostly about what it means to be a passionate disciple of Jesus uh, and looking very specifically at what Jesus said about being a passionate disciple. And so Skeet talked a little bit about this last week, what it means to abide in Jesus. The word abide is not a word that at least I use very often. And so it's helpful to get that sort of firmly rooted in our minds when we use it, what it means. Uh, It means to to live in, or to stay in, or to remain in, or to continue in. And in relationship with Jesus, it means to develop a close personal relationship with him that's an enduring one, an overriding one, an important one with Jesus. So when we hear that word abide, I want you to be thinking about, about getting into it, staying in it, living in it. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a very specific aspect of abiding in Jesus. And it has to do with the Word of God. And I'll go into some detail on that in just a second. I do want to remind you, though, that the Word of God is compared in our Bibles to a sword. Some of you will know that I've been promised several months ago to figure out a way to get a sword into a sermon. And I've been able to do that because the Word is the sword of the Spirit, Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and verse uh, 12 says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing us to uh, dividing uh, soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And so um, I thought, well, why don't I just come up here and get a sword? But I I didn't do that. Who's in charge of this church, the operations of the church? Oh, you don't have, you do have a sword. Excellent. I was hoping you would have one, Barry. Thank you. A single edge, though, I'm afraid. A single edge. Is it sharp? Okay. I like this. I can make this a permanent, you know, sort of prop. Skeet said I had prop envy when I described this a week after he preached, and I said I was jealous because I didn't get to use a sword in my sermon. This is a serious one. A guy could get hurt with this. You better take it back. <laughs> Thank you, Bear, for being able to provide everything at just the last minute. You should know that you should know that I brought this up with Bear this morning at about 9:15. Is that true, Bear? 9:25. Fair. <laughs> Is this good service or what? Huh? Uh, chocolate milkshake? No. Okay, later. Fine. All kidding aside. Uh, what we want to do this morning is get into what it means to abide in Jesus' words. And so, before we jump into the text, let me just uh, open us in a word of prayer. Lord, as I pray each Sunday upon Sunday, I pray that you'd allow me to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God, and that your words would be my words. That none of, No one came here this morning thinking they would come and listen to a man speak. Lord, we came this morning, and so did I, to hear you speak. So thank you for your Holy Spirit, and pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that I would simply be the deliverer, the messenger, as it were, to allow you to speak, to speak to me, 
as you have all week as I prepared this week, and to those who are here this morning, that our lives would not only be informed, Lord, but we might be transformed by the power of your word. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what I'd like to do is, uh, is read the first seven verses of John chapter 15. This is the cent- chapter 15 of the book of John is the central text for our series on Abide. I want to just cover the first uh, seven verses again. We've read these last week, but there's uh, something stuck in the middle that I want you to, to, uh, to see very clearly. And then we're going to expand on that. So as we read this uh, first uh, seven verses of chapter 15, I want you to listen very carefully for what it is that Jesus says we are to abide in. What exactly are we to abide in? You'll see it very clearly. Beginning uh, with verse 1. You can read it in your Bibles or it's on the screen behind me. I, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So you can see it very clearly here, repeated throughout these seven verses. In verse 4, you see it says, Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, it says again, and then says, Abide in the vine. In verse 5, it says, Whoever abides in me, and I in him. In verse 6, it says, Abide in me. And so we stay in, that is, we live in, we continue in, we remain in, Jesus, and Jesus continues and remains in us. That's the instruction. But you'll notice verse 7 is slightly different. Jesus changes the phraseology. It says in the previous verses, he says, Abide in me and I in you, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you, abide in me. In verse 7, he changes it and he says, You should be abiding in my words. And that's a different dimension. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus tells us that his words are to abide in us. His words. In addition to abiding in Jesus and Jesus abiding in us, we are told that his words should abide in us. Now, this is a major point. It seems like just an afterthought or maybe a small insertion into a lot of Scripture here in verse 7, but it's a major point of Jesus' teaching. It's not a peripheral issue. It's a big piece of what it means to be a follower and a passionate disciple of Jesus. I know this because Jesus talks about it elsewhere. In John 8, 31 in particular, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. It's very clear. Jesus says, You're truly my disciples if you abide in my word. 2 John chapter, uh, verse 9. It says, Everyone who goes on ahead, this is John talking, John writing, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. 
And again, in 1 John 2.24, John writes, Let what you heard from the beginning, that is Jesus' words, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so we see an important part of abiding in Jesus and becoming one of his disciples is making Jesus' words abide in us. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just answer four questions. Actually, I want to ask four questions and then answer them. The four questions are the following. The first one is relatively straightforward. What does Jesus actually mean when he says, my words? He says, my words should abide in you, but what does he mean by my words? That's the first question. The second question is, what does it actually mean to make Jesus' words abide in us? What does that mean? Thirdly, I want to ask and answer the question, what's in it for me? What are the benefits to us of making Jesus' words abide in us? And then lastly, I want to ask the question, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we make Jesus' words abide in us? So that's what we want to cover this morning, those four questions, and I hope to answer those by the end of our time here this morning. So the first question is, what does Jesus mean by my words? He says, if my words abide in you, what does he mean by my words? Well, certainly it means all the words that Jesus spoke. All the words that Jesus spoke. Many of the things that Jesus said are captured in our Bibles, but of course not all of them. That's a very narrow definition of what Jesus might be meaning by my words. I think there's a broader definition. I think he means your whole Bible. And let me tell you how I get there. Every time Jesus spoke, he spoke the words of God. And you all go, well, yeah, that's obvious because Jesus is God. When he was walking on earth, he was fully God and fully man, but he always has been and always will be God. We believe in one God and three persons, and one of those persons is Jesus. So when Jesus speaks, he speaks the word of God. That's easy. But there's a second reason that I know that every time Jesus spoke, he spoke the words of God. It's because Jesus said so. John 14, 24, this is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And then he says... And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus says, I speak, but I'm speaking the words of my Father. And in John, 30, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 34, not on your screen, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. And he says, for whom God has sent, that is Jesus, for whom God has sent, utters the words of God. John knew that Jesus, when he came to earth, would utter the words of God. So what's my point? My point is simply that Jesus spoke the word of God as Father. Now, was Jesus the only person who spoke the words of God? No. All the writers of our Bibles spoke the word of God. It's very clear when we look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting and training in righteousness. All 40 of the writers of our Bible were inspired by God to write what they wrote. They didn't always speak the word of God, right? Jesus, every time words came out of his mouth, it was the word of God. The writers of the Bible didn't always speak the word of God, only when they were inspired and when God breathed into them what to say. So I don't think it's a great leap to say that when Jesus talks about my words, he's referring not only to what he said, but what other things that God would inspire and breathe into the other writers of our Bibles. So in my interpretation of this, I would say when Jesus says, my word should abide in you, I think he's talking about the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, 
That's question one. If the next three questions go as quickly, we'll be out of here before breakfast is over. Question two. What does it mean to make the Word of God abide in you? What does it mean? What's it about? Well, before we can talk about what it means, we have to think about it. There is a prerequisite. Something that has to take place before the Word of God can abide in you, and I want to cover that. I want to talk about that. How many of you took nuclear physics in college? Excellent. I always like it when there's nobody in the room that can refute me. I actually took it. I know you'll find this weird, but uh, in order to get into Nuclear Physics 401, there is a prerequisite for that class, and it's called Atomic Physics 107 or something like that. You have to take atomic physics before you can take nuclear physics because if you don't understand what the atoms are supposed to do, you'll never be able to understand what the atoms do when it goes through a nuclear reaction. Okay? Atomic physics 101, or whatever the number it was, is a prerequisite for atomic, for nuclear physics uh, 402. Similarly, there's a prerequisite for abiding in Jesus. And the prerequisite is very carefully explained by Jesus himself in John chapter 5 and verse 38. This is Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees about God. He's talking to the Pharisees about God. And he says to them, you, that is you Pharisees, you do not have his word, that is the word of God, abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. Jesus is saying, look, Pharisees, the word of God is not abiding in you because you don't believe that I am the Son of God. Now, I find it quite surprising that Jesus would tell the Pharisees, of all people, that the Word of God does not abide in them. Why is that surprising? Because the Pharisees' job was to protect and to teach and to interpret the Word of God. They were professionals. They studied it, they taught it, they passed it on, they they interpreted it for the people. These guys were, were in it all the time. And yet, because they didn't believe in Jesus, they did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus tells them, the Word of God does not abide in you. So I just want to say, right up front, that as disciples of Jesus, the Word of God is not going to abide in us unless we believe in Jesus. Now, that really shouldn't come as too much of a surprise to any of us. Same is true today. If you don't believe in Jesus, there's no way that you can abide in Jesus. You can't have Jesus live in you. You can't stay in him. You can't develop a close personal relationship with Jesus if you don't believe in him. If you don't believe that he is really the Son of God, if you don't believe that he came to earth to die on the cross for your sins, if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and that by believing in him you can be saved, and that all your sins can be wiped out. If you don't believe those things, then it's because either Jesus is an idiot, because he said he was God, or he was a liar, and you wouldn't want to abide in either one of those kind of people. So that's the prerequisite. The prerequisite is that we trust in Jesus. Okay. So, what does it actually mean for the Word of God to abide in you? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that uh, getting the Word to abide in you means reading it and memorizing it? How many of you believe that's what it means? None of you. Or you're all too lazy to raise your hands. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to read your Bible and memorize it. It has to mean much more than that. And the reason I know this is because the Pharisees themselves were experts at reading and memorizing Scripture. 
They didn't have the massive printing presses that got invented in the 1600s or whenever they were invented. And they don't have the internet where you can copy and download it to your iPhone things. These were, these were mostly handed down word of mouth from generation to generation or on very heavy and expensive scrolls. So they spent a lot of time memorizing it and studying it. So I know that it doesn't mean that. There's another character who studied, read uh, scripture and memorized it. And I know that he doesn't abide in Jesus and his name is Satan. Satan read and memorized scripture. You remember when Jesus was in the desert, he was being tempted by Satan. What did Satan do? He quoted scripture to him. I'm pretty certain that, that when he went into the desert, Satan didn't carry a bunch of scrolls behind him because he couldn't remember the verses he wanted to remember. No, he memorized them. So I know that simply reading the word and memorizing it is not enough to be abiding in Jesus' words. Abiding in the word of God, it's more than that. No, in order for the word of God to abide in you, it has to stay in you. It has to live in you. It has to continue in you. It's almost like having to develop a personal relationship with the word of God. And if you think about that, you think, well, how can I develop a personal relationship with words? Well, it's not that difficult. You make them an integral part of your life. Just as you would with someone you have a close personal relationship with. You eat it. You sleep it. You drink it. You spend time with it. You study it. You want to spend time with it. You desire it. You grab hold of it. You make it part of your family. You tell it to your children. You share it with people at work. You become saturated with it. But it's even more than that. It's even more than that. In addition to making it part of you and being saturated by it, abiding in Jesus' words also means to do it, to obey it. And I know that because uh, Jesus says so in John 14, 23. It says, Jesus answered him. There was a disciple named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but a, a, a good guy, another guy asked him a question, and Jesus answered it and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says, If you love me, you will keep the word of God. There's a story in Luke where Jesus is preaching in a house, and there's so many people around they can't get in. And Jesus' mother, Mary, and one or more of his brothers, they come try to find Jesus. They want to have a chat with him. Don't know exactly why, because it doesn't look like they ever got actually into the house to see him. But someone passed the word forward, and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. They want to see you. Jesus' answer was, my brother and my mother and my brothers, he said, are those who hear the word of God and do it. He was using that event to make a point. Disciples of Jesus are those who hear the word of God and do it. 1 John 3.24 says, whoever keeps his commandments, this is John writing about Jesus' commandments, he says, whoever keeps Jesus' commandments abides in him, and he abides in them. And Jesus, in Luke 11, said, blessed, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. So that's question number two. What does it mean to make God, the Word of God abide in you? It's two things. It's one is to get it in you, to learn it, saturate yourself with it, make it an integral part of your life. And then secondly, is to do it. Our third question is, what good does it do for us 
or what's in it for me? And that question is, uh, I made up the question, so I thought, well, that's kind of a funny question. Well, it is kind of a funny question. Uh, it reminds me of the question I used to ask my mother when I was a child. She would tell me to finish my vegetables at dinner, and I would say, why, what's in it for me? And uh, she had one of two responses. One was, uh, well, what's in it for you? A spanking, if you don't do what I tell you to do. But usually, what she said was, it's good for you. Eat it. It's good for you. As if that was a perfectly rational explanation for a 10-year-old kid. You know, it's good for you. Oh, well, if it's good for me, then I'll just sit down and gobble it all up, Mom. Thanks for telling me. No, my mother couldn't come up with three good reasons why I had to eat my vegetables. And 50 years later, my wife can't come up with three good reasons either. I'm going to pay for that one later. She's going to be cooking vegetables all week long. There won't be any meat in my diet all week, or ice cream for that matter. I used to tell my mother, uh, if I was a rabbit, that would be a perfectly good explanation. What's my point? Is that we don't have to simply say, I don't have to stand up here and say, look, make the word of God abide in you. And you say, why? I simply say, well, it's good for you. I, I don't have to do that. The reason I don't have to do that is because our Bible is very, very rich in telling us why. Dozens of good reasons why we should make the word of God abide in us are in our Bibles. And with your permission, I would like to go through about two dozen of them. Now, I have two ways of doing this. I can, I can flip to each section of Scripture. It will probably take us about an hour, but I don't think you want to do that. Let me just sort of skim through them quickly, if it's all right with you. There are very, very good and practical, tangible reasons why we want the Word of God to abide in us. Things that benefit us. If you're a selfish person, like we all are, these are really good reasons. So, two dozen reasons. It helps us resist the devil. 1 John 2.14 says, I write to you, young man, because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We can use it to resist the devil. The word of God is trustworthy and therefore we can use it to make good decisions. Psalm 111.7 says, all God's precepts are trustworthy. All of them. The word is sufficient to teach us everything we need to know. Everything we need to know is in our Bibles. About living a godly life and trusting in Jesus, Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures God breathed, or breathed by God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Every good thing that you want to do, you got the tools. It's all in your Bible. It's sufficient. The Word of God gives us joy. Jesus says this many times. Joy. You read your Bible, you'll get joy. If you abide in the Word of God, God will answer your prayers. We saw this just in, in the verses we showed on the slide, and I didn't focus on it. We'll cover it in detail in a couple of weeks. John fifteen seven says, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is a bold statement. And it's a great benefit. And we'll unpack that in a couple of weeks in more detail. It's more than I have time to cover this morning. The Word of God gives us freedom. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our Bibles make us aware of sin. 1 John 1.10, John writes, this says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word's not in us. 
If we think we are sinless, God's Word can't be in us. Because when we read God's Word, it makes apparent to us our sins. If we respond to that in the right way, that's a good thing. The Word of God cleanses us. This is also in John chapter 15. It says, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. And the Word of God is power. We often say that the Word of God is powerful. But it's more than that. It's power. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Would you like more reasons? Let me give you 15 quick ones from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is 150 verses, and every single verse talks about the word of God. If you were to skim through that as I did earlier this week, you'll find these things. You'll find that it keeps us from shame. The Word of God keeps a young uh, man pure, helps us avoid sin, protects us from scorn and contempt. It delights us. It gives us good counsel. It strengthens us. It helps us set priorities. It comforts us in affliction. It gives us life. It gives us wisdom. It gives us understanding. It guides our steps. It makes valuable promises. It gives us hope. That's two dozen out of many dozen reasons that are listed in our Bible for why we should make the Word of God abide in us. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, says it quite nicely. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they, that is the words of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, in keeping God's words, there is great reward. So, abide in the word of God, make it an integral part of your life, and do what it says. And abiding in God's word will have great benefits for you. My mother used to say, it's good for you. And it's better than vegetables. Better than vegetables. Question four. How do we do it? How do we make the Word of God abide in us? Well, this you'll be able to find in any number of self-help books at your Christian bookstore. Hundreds of ways that you can do this. So I took all hundred of those books and I read them all this last week and I've summarized it all for you. You do not need a 12-step program. You need a two-step program. Step one, get it in you. Step two, do it. Huh? That easy, huh? One, get it in you. Two, strive to do it. Okay, step one. Get the Word of God in you. By that I mean read it, listen to it, Speak it, study it, copy it, memorize it, meditate on it, share it, sing it, teach it, preach it. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9, which many of you will know by heart, says, These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
Another way of saying that is make it an integral part of your life. Learn it so much that you can teach it to your children. The best thing that you can do in your children's presence is read your Bible. A child who sees a father reading his Bible will pick that up. You don't even need to read it to him. You'll be sending a very strong message, this book is important. And that child will grow up with that. Read your Bible regularly. Jesus told Satan, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you eat bread every day, you need to be reading your Bible every day. I think that was Jesus' point. I would suggest that you schedule it in your calendar. Put a place in your life on a daily basis where you're going to read your Bible. And then guard that time fiercely. Don't let other things get in the way. Block it out in pen. And plan ahead. Plan what it is that you're going to read. But don't be sort of captured by other people's plans. I have read the Bible probably, or listened to the Bible, probably 25 times front to back in my life, or in the 30 years since I've been a Christian. But I have never used one of those daily read-through-the-Bibles-in-a-year plans. I hate them. The reason I hate them is because I get into and I get off by a day or a Saturday and I'm busy, I've got other things to do or whatever, and I miss a day and I get discouraged and I quit. So it doesn't work for me. For many of you, you need that structure, but for some guys like me, I don't want that structure. There's nothing magical about reading your Bible in a year. Nothing magical. You can read it in a day if you want to. I don't recommend it, but it's a good thing to do. But it's hard. So do whatever works for you. But plan ahead. Don't get up one the next morning and say, well, I'll tell you, I'm going to read my Bible. And you go, oh, okay, what am I going to do? You spend the next 15 minutes trying to figure out what to do. And you'll do that spiritual direction thing where you stick your finger in the Bible and open it up and say, well, I hope God has something to say to me in this section. We're much more mature than that. Plan it out. Get a devotional. Do something. Whatever works for you. Fill your spare time with it. In our age today, you can download a free, uh, a whole copy of the Bible onto your BlackBerry or onto your iPhone. Any telephone that gets uh, an Internet signal, you can put a Bible on it. And you won't have to lug around one of those Bibles everywhere you go. People won't look at you funny when you go to the soccer game and you're over there looking on your thing and they think, oh, she's just checking her texts. No, she's not. She's reading her Bible. Half time at the soccer game. Waiting for your kid in the car to pick him up after school. Sitting in a boring meeting. Try that one. <laughs> boss looks at you. Oh, he must be over there texting some deal he's got going on. Now, I don't recommend you doing that during the office, but do it at your lunchtime. Do it whenever there's a spare moment. I do it sitting at the airport terminal. You know, you've got those... So many minutes, you've got to get there hours ahead of time, and then you sit there in this stupid little chair, and you, just, you can do two, one or two things. You can look at all the people going by. You can read your Bible. It's a great dead time. Then you get on the airplane, you sit down, you buckle up, and it takes forever for the rest of the people to get on the airplane. It's great dead time. Read your Bible. Fill up your dead time with your Word of God. It's easy. I listen while I'm on the treadmill in the morning, 30 minutes, Instead of watching ESPN on the little screen there, I got the Word of God going in my ears. And when I drive home in the work, from work in the evening, I plug it in. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to traffic or NPR or public radio. Just fill up those dead times. We've got a lot of dead time in our lives. Speaking of dead time, how many of you spend more than an hour a day on Facebook? 
I think you take 30% of the time you spend on Facebook and, and put it in the Word of God, you find you're going to get through the Bible pretty doggone fast. We have to make it a priority in our lives. Attend a Sunday school? Think about taking a class at the College of Biblical Studies. Read great Christian books. Pick one book out of the Bible and study it. And find as many commentaries as you can. There are some really, really, really smart guys who died and wrote books that we can read. It'll make the Word come alive for you. Listen to great Christian preachers. At all times on my iPod, I have at least ten sermons by Alistair Begg, who used to be my former pastor in Cleveland, and John Piper. I like those guys. Pick who you want. But listen to great preachers. Listen to them. God has infused people like that with the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit speaks, it can change you. The Holy Spirit will speak through those kind of guys, and your Bible will come alive for you. Debate it with a friend. Listen to Christian music that magnifies and glorifies the Word of God. And then pray to the Holy Spirit to help you. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to make the Word come alive, to make, help you to understand and to remember Jesus' words. John 14, 26 says, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. He says, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, read it, listen to it, speak it, study it, copy it, memorize it, meditate on it, share it, sing it, teach it, preach it. The Word of God. That's step one. Get it in you. Step two, strive to do it. Step two, strive to do it. Strive to obey it. Strive to do what it says. Now, I use the word strive because none of us are perfect. We can't keep all of God's commands all the time. I'm a sinner. So are you. But I think what Jesus wants us to do, if we're passionate disciples, he wants us to try. He wants us to strive. We get the Word of God in us, and then we strive to obey it. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 6. It goes like this. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? He says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the floods came, the stream broke against the house, and it couldn't shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately the house fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Striving to do the Word of God is not an instantaneous thing. It's not something that you get up tomorrow morning and you pray to God, oh God, please make me, help me to strive to do your word. It's a continuous process. It lasts your whole lifetime. You know this. Don't get, be discouraged. Our Bible is a wonderful book. It's a unique book. It's an amazing book. It is the best-selling book of all time by far. It is 66 books written by 40 different guys from different walks of life, over a time period of 1,500 years, written in three different languages on three different continents. It covers hundreds of controversial subjects, and nowhere does it contradict itself. It's an amazing book. 
But there's a quality of it that I want to highlight as I close. And it's very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. And he says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul was thankful that the Thessalonians, when they heard the word, they accepted it. Not as the words of a bunch of guys walking around door to door, Paul and Silas and Timothy. They accepted it as what it really is. It's the word of God. And the Bible is an amazing book, but we ought not to forget that it is the word of God. That is, it is the word of God. There is no other. It is the Word of God. It's the very things that come out of God's mouth which went into guys who wrote it. And it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And so we should cherish it. And make it come alive in ourselves. I'll end where I started with John chapter 8, verse 31. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Passionate disciples of Jesus will make the word of God abide in them. Passionate disciples of Jesus will make the word of God abide in them. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so thankful for you breathing your word into the 40 authors of our Bible. I thank you that we have it in printed word. We have it electronically. We can download it off the internet. We can pull it up just about anywhere we are today. I thank you that your word has been translated into thousands of languages. It's been distributed far and wide. But most of all, Lord God, I thank you that our Bibles are the word of God. They are your very words. Your Bible is sufficient for all we need for a life of godliness. It has so many benefits for us. So I thank you for it. I thank you for your son Jesus, who told us that if we want to abide in him, we want to be passionate disciples of your son Jesus, or to make your word abide in us. So I pray, Lord God, that we would do that. That each of us, Lord God, would take seriously your command to make the word of God abide in us. We thank you and we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.